sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friend. Today we have the privilege to honor a fallen statesman of the religious liberty community, Dr. James Wood, one of the foremost experts in religious freedom, leader of the Baptist community, and here to to talk about Dr. Wood's career, his legacy, is my friend and colleague, Greg Hamilton, president of the Northwest Religious Liberty Association. Well, Greg, it's a solemn occasion, but uh, it's certainly a, a pleasant in some sense to look back on the wonderful contributions of Dr. Wood. Yeah, the last time I saw him was in Yorktown, which is where he retired, essentially, in Yorktown, Virginia, and it was in 2004, and we had dinner out together, and it was just a pure joy to see him and his wife again and his son. And he, you know, it's interesting, the first time I met him, he had just invited me to be uh, selected as one of two graduate students with a full graduate assistantship and a full scholarship at the J.M. Dawson Institute of Church State Studies, which he had helped pioneer uh, back in 1957, where I was born. And here I am in 1996. I'm there, and he pulls me into his office, and he says, I just want you to know that we took a risk on you. He says, your GPA wasn't high as most people that we give these honors to. They're usually 4.0 in their undergraduate, and mine was 3.65 from Portland State University. He says, I just want you to know we took a <laughs> oh, risk on you. Oh, you're a slacker, Greg. <laughs> and, and he said, he said, we like your goals, your life goals, and what you want to do with your career, and that's why we chose you. And he said, also because the Seventh-day Adventist Church has such a, is such a pillar in defending religious freedom, and he says, frankly, he says, I think you guys do an even better job at it and are more uh, defending and championing religious freedom than even us Baptists. So that was quite a high honor to be chosen as the first Adventist to, you know, attend that program and to be accepted with full honors and everything. And I was also the uh, student editor of the Journal of Church and State. And it was just a high honor. And I was intimidated because, you know, he had an intimidating but yet friendly way of, of dealing with people. And he sat me down in his chair across from his desk, and he just proceeded to lecture about almost everything he knew for the next two hours, which, you know, didn't even begin to cover what he knew. But I was sitting there just enraptured with his knowledge and his he's – a, he's a big fan of Thomas Jefferson, of course, but also Roger Williams. And I'll never forget in defending my um, coursework and also my uh, thesis last dissertation on – Sandra Day O'Connor's Judicial Philosophy and the Role of Religion in Public Life, which is still an original work, his question to me, he says, and this is before like, you know, seven professors and before Dr. Derek Davis, my mentor, who was the chairman of the program at the time, he said, who had the greatest impact on religious freedom in America? Was it the Anabaptists in Europe or was it the Puritans in the colonies? And I knew what he thought, and I also knew what the other professors thought. But I also knew what I thought, because I really believed that the meeting houses, the whole process of the beginnings of democracy actually were rooted in the Puritans uh, in the colonial founding. And the Anabaptists, you know, over in Europe didn't have 
much of an impact on anything over there, over here in the United States, or what would become the United States. And uh, so it was really interesting, Alan. Uh, this is laughable. I sat back and I watched the other six professors debate with Dr. Wood almost the rest of the time. <laughs> well, <laughs> so it was the, know, I came in with fear and, and trembling. And I walked out of there almost laughing to myself. That all I had to do was get Dr. Wood to argue with the other professors. And it was like, oh, like man. Jesus this is setting the Sadducees and the Pharisees at one another over the issue of the resurrection. You know, Dr. Wood was a consummate scholar. You know, he published yes, he a landmark book, Church and State in Scripture, History, and Constitutional Law, way yes. back in 1858. Well. Here I was born. And I have seven or eight copies of that. Founded... Well, you need to send me one. I, I think I'm missing my copy, but uh, really, uh, you know, founded the program at Baylor, which, you know, is no longer in existence, I think, because the Baptists have really kind of um, walked No, it back. is in existence. There. It, it is. It's just an undergraduate program, and they still have the research center, and they still publish the Journal of Church and State. So they do that, but they don't have the graduate program anymore. Well, so that's I'm out of touch, because I haven't gotten the Journal of Church and State, it seems like. For a number of years, but uh, you know, well, the, I stopped Baptist, subscribing a while back. The Baptists yeah, have been ahead. historically the champions of religious freedom, of the separation of church and state, and we Adventists, we have really whatever we've done has been to kind of build on or stand on the shoulders of of the Baptists who came before us and uh, alongside of us. And I'm certainly grateful well, for Dr. Wood's encouragement of of you and and of our work. Yeah, well, you know, don't forget that he worked for the Baptist Joint Committee. He was the uh, director of the Baptist Joint Committee in Washington, D.C. for a number of years. And, um, you know, the Baptist Joint Committee, even though they're a minority within the Southern Baptist Convention, so to speak, they are still quite influential, and they're a powerful organization in terms of um, appealing to moderates within the Baptist faith. And uh, so it's it's still a very strong organization, and I wouldn't totally count the Baptists out. Um, you know, no, it's true no, that the Evangelical South is, is made up of Southern Methodists, Southern Baptists, and they make up what's today known as the Christian right and, you know, are very supportive of, of this president and so on and so forth. But, um, you know, there's more nuance to that, uh, that, that so-called dominance of the Christian right that's there that we need to keep appealing to because I think that these are honest, sincere people that can be reasoned with. And at least that's my viewpoint. So. Well, no, I, I certainly agree. Um, and you're getting acquainted with Dr. Wood. Is there anything in particular out in his career aside from his academic accomplishments that that really stands out. What stands out is that he was a absolute diehard when it came to defending the constitutional separation of church and state. I mean, he did more to impress me regarding what the founders' intentions were than anybody else. And I mean, I would dare anybody to debate him uh, during his lifetime regarding that subject because, I mean, he was not only smart, he was not only eloquent, he knew his stuff. His mentor was uh, and friend was Leo Pfeffer, the famous church, Jewish church-state constitutional scholar. And, um, you know, with that kind of pedigree, it was very difficult. And, and there was all kinds of uh, Christian Reconstructionist-type students, graduate students who were there who constantly were arguing with him. And, I mean, they just 
they couldn't win. I mean, they just they just making up as they as they went. Greg, yeah. well, let's stay on this topic for just a moment to be clear for our listeners, because you know today a lot of what passes for invoking the intent of the framers is really undermining right. the separation of church and state. So, you know, when you say he was a champion of the separation of church and state in in the view of the founders of our nation, you know, unpack that a little bit. You know, well, he predicted long ago that well-meaning souls and not so well-meaning souls would use the free exercise of religion basically to tear down the wall separating church and state to to basically turn religious freedom into religious privilege for Christians and to count all others, minorities, religions they disagreed with, um, third world religions, uh, especially Islam, as uh, second-class citizens. And, I mean, he predicted this a long time ago. He saw, he saw this emergence coming and the eventual meltdown in the courts in terms of totally abrogating the constitutional wall separating church and state. And so that was his his big thing. He he was a big believer in Justice Black's reasoning in the Everson versus Board of Education decision, which in the actual decision was five to four, allowing for an accommodation of the busing of uh, Catholic students, um, but um, and All reimbursing the parents and for that. Impregnable wall was his expression. Yes, but he argued, and he led the charge in the court with a nine to nothing opinion a doctrinal opinion that said that demonstrated that the founders truly did intend to separate church and state uh, far more than most people realized. And it didn't just mean that the Establishment Clause didn't just mean that we uh, only prevent the establishment of a national church, but it meant so much more than that, that it was not the role, the word respecting, where it says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment. That word respecting is so clear because it means government must remain neutral. They cannot respect religious practice or religion of any kind or favor. Okay, so they cannot sanction, they cannot support financially, and they cannot uh, basically um, endorse, endorse or promote religion. Yeah, or promote. Right. And so that was the key. That was the key to understanding that clause, and it made so much sense to me. And he also told me that the religion clauses, both the free exercise and the establishment clause, the separation of church-state, actually, even though they worked as a whole to protect religious freedom, there was also an inherent check and balance in the actual wording, preventing the slippery slope against, you know, one against the other. In other words, not all-out free exercise and no wall, which means, you know, allows Christians to be dominant and allows the church to control the state. And the Establishment Clause, uh, or the Free Exercise Clause, is there to prevent against state powers running amok over religion and allowing paganism to rule. So it, it really was a balancing act, and he really appreciated my um, thesis on Sandra Day O'Connor, demonstrating that was like Sandra Day O'Connor's ultimate theme. And so uh, when I was writing that, he highly praised um, my work and uh, fully oh, endorsed she was it. A nat- never- she was a national treasure. We yeah. lose so much by not having her on the court. And yeah, she's, she's terminally ill right now, and it's really sad. One other thing I want to add is that Dr. Wood, most people don't know this, was a very close friend of President Jimmy Carter, and he helped influence Jimmy Carter's uh, emphasis on international human rights and also ending the nuclear arms race. In fact, um, 
used the Baptist Joint Committee to emphasize those themes, and uh, he was very successful um, in influencing Zbigniew Brzezinski, who was National Security Advisor to Jimmy Carter, and also Jimmy Carter himself, especially Jimmy Carter. In fact, it's what you know, caused Jimmy Carter to, you know, go on and and really promote it in a big way academically at Emory University, where the Jimmy Carter Center of Human Rights is located, and uh, so forth. So Dr. Wood, he was, I'll be honest with you, he was not the humblest man, uh, because he really didn't know his stuff, but he was the nicest, most genteel diplomatic man who was very confident of what he knew. And, you know, I actually appreciated that about him. You know, some people are too humble to a fault. I think that um, his uh, mannerism was compelling and needed. And I wish that we had more champions like that today who just didn't, don't bend over and uh, lay down like a mat or rug, but people who stand up for That's what's right backbone. and true. Yeah. He had backbone. Thank you, Greg. We're out of time. This is Freedom's Ring. Our guest, Greg Hamilton, president of the Northwest Religious Liberty Association. We've been remembering Dr. James Wood, a fallen hero of the religious freedom community, passed away recently at the age of 96, I think it Six. was. Yeah, 90. Thank you so much for being with us, Greg. Thank you. As we close, remember, friends, at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk about religious freedom. We help workers suffering religious discrimination. Check out our legal resources page at www.churchstate.org, churchstate.org. And don't forget, friends, freedom is not free. Be informed. Get involved. Join the North American Religious Liberty Association today, producer of Freedom's Ring, on the web at religiousliberty.info religiousliberty.info and be sure and listen to Freedom's Ring on our SoundCloud radio station or on iTunes. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring. <laughs>